In preparing for this season, I, I just couldn't come up with an idea of what to, to, to talk about. And then it hit me, right? Well, devoted. <laughs> I hope that you've picked up on that theme today. We are starting a, a, a series, a season in the life of our, our church and of our worship where we focus on what does it truly mean to be devoted. So we begin with that question. What are you devoted to? Or maybe better said, who are you devoted to? Well, we're certainly we're devoted to our family and to our friends. Some of us, many of us would say we're we're devoted to our work. We're devoted to our school. We're, we're devoted to our favorite team. We're devoted to our nation. What what it means, what it stands for. We're devoted to our church. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be devoted? And specifically for us, what does it mean to be devoted to Jesus Christ? That's the question. That's the question of discipleship that we, we have to ask. That's the question of what does it mean to lay down our lives to give up all of us so that we might be consumed with all of Him, all of Jesus. It was almost 31 years ago in March. Gay looked up. She knows what, I'm, what date that is. We were, we were married. And we stood there at that altar. And we devoted our lives to each other in riches and in poverty in sickness and in health and in cancer that we never would have imagined that both of us would have had to come alongside the other in that journey. In good times and bad, we made vows to each other. We covenanted with each other before God and before our family and friends that we would love and cherish each other for the rest of our lives. And you know what? We meant that with all of our heart 31 years ago. But the truth is, we've had to grow and to mature into those vows each and every day of our lives. And for those who have been married for any time, what we've discovered is that marriage is hard work. <laughs> and it is a lifetime of devotion to one another. I can't believe it's been almost 50 years ago. As a little boy at Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas, I invited Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and Savior and, and, and to be baptized. And I was baptized. And I meant every word of the, the prayer that I prayed to Jesus for Jesus to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior and to forgive me of my sins. But you know what? As Paul said, I've had to grow into that. I've had to work that out every day of my life since then. Because you know why? Because being devoted to Jesus is hard work. But this is the life of devotion that God has called us to. Now, now certainly... 
Grace is free. But let us not pretend for a moment that it didn't cost God His Son. And let us not pretend for a moment that, that God's call, that Jesus' call to take up our cross daily and follow after Him is, is not intended for us. You see, we do really good at, at the incredible, humbling news, great news that, that Jesus died for me. He died for me that I could, could live forever. But we're not so excited about the other part that says, now, come after me. Pick up that cross. Come on, and we're going to work this out. Because you see, the life of devotion to Christ is, is hard work. And we have to be committed to that as well. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to spend the next five weeks. One of the weeks we'll be out of that chapter, but it, we'll be talking about devotion. But Romans 12 is a, is a powerful, powerful chapter on discipleship, on what it means to be a devoted disciple, what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. And, and I feel like as we begin this new season called 2021, as we begin this new season, this post-COVID season, and I understand we still have months to go, but I think to begin to start looking at what does life look like, what does church look like as we move into this new season of life. So again, if you would, turn with me to Romans 12 and let me catch up with you. Romans 12. We're going to take a big bite today. We're just going to read verse 1. We're going to camp there for today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, that spiritual service idea is, is, a, is a, a concept that's been hard to translate. Some of yours may say, is your reasonable act or reasonable service of worship. There's a, a logical aspect of this. There's a, a sense of, of what, what Paul means here is, is devoting your entire self, your body, <laughs> The next verse, your mind, all of you. This is your reasonable act of service to give all of you, every area of your life to God as an act of worship. Let's go back and, and let's start. I'm going to push this back so I don't knock over Chad's iPad. But notice that this passage, this verse begins with therefore. And we need to understand why that therefore is there. And, and as you go through Romans, you know that there's, there's several chapters that begin with the word therefore. But this is a key one. This is a, this is a pivotal point in the letter to the Romans. This is a hinge point where, where Paul kind of changes his direction for the rest of the book, the rest of his letter. Now let's, let's be reminded that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those who have called upon His name for salvation. He's writing to people like you and I, who've given their lives over to Jesus. Therefore, here, calls us to remember the previous 11 chapters. The previous 11 chapters are, are really deep and thick with some theology, with some doctrine. 
And so in chapter 12, Paul begins to move to the practical aspects of what does it look like to live this Christian life. Okay, Paul, because of this incredible doctrinal treatise you've given us in the first 11 chapters, what does that mean? (laughs) What does that look like each and every day? Remember in the previous 11 chapters that Paul described our desperate situation and the ultimate hope that we have in Christ Jesus. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, All of us have sinned. Every man, woman, and child who's ever lived have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's plan for us. Romans 6.23 says that the wages, the, the payment of our sin is death. Because of our sinfulness, our brokenness, we deserve death, but that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And throughout those 11 chapters, Paul helps us to understand that it's Jesus who bore the wrath of God through his death on the cross. And then in Romans 10, verse 9, Jesus, Paul reminds us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so this is the the theological uh, uh, teaching that Paul has offered beforehand. And now we step into therefore. Now, let me encourage you and, and, and instruct you on this. This isn't for high-level Christians that we're getting ready to talk to, you might read that and go, well, that's, that's pretty deep. That, that's for those that are really Christians, that are, they, they really go to church and they, re- they read their Bible. No, this isn't for the advanced, this isn't the advanced class. This is for all of us. This is for Jocelyn. Wasn't it incredible to see Jocelyn being baptized? It was wonderful. This is for you, Jocelyn, just like it's for your mom and dad and for your grandmothers, your, 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 your grandparents. It's for all of us. And Paul begins it with these words. I urge you. I urge you. This is urgent news. This is something that we need to to apply. We're we're not going to, and it's important. It's significant. I, I plead with you. Now, I think what else Paul is saying is he's writing with some authority. Now, we're not going to get to the end of the chapter and take a vote like we do in our, our Baptist church. And that's there's, it's good stuff, but Paul said, we're not going to get to the end of this and take a vote. We're not taking any recommendations to change the language, to make it a little easier for us. <laughs> no, I, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you. This is critical. This is important stuff for us as we want to live as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. So he is urging us He's urging us by the mercies of God. In fact, Paul's urging is based solely upon God's mercy. Everything that Paul is going to instruct us to do is contingent or begins with the mercy of God. For you see, without the mercy of God, none of this would be possible. So Paul is saying, I urge you by the mercies of God. What about the grace of God? We hear about God's grace and God's mercy, well, let's just take a minute to kind of distinguish between the two because they're both critical and they're both important, but they're not the same. And here, Paul is focusing on the mercies of God. 
both grace and mercy. Help us to understand the, the vast depth of God's love. Some, some might say they represent the two different sides of the coin of God's love. Mercy speaks to the compassionate love of God that holds back, that holds back what we deserve, whereas grace speaks to the generous love of God that offers to us and gives to us what we don't deserve. Mercy speaks to God's forgiveness. Grace speaks to God's salvation and the new life He offers us. Mercy says that the old things have passed away. Grace says, behold, all things are new. In other words, what Paul is urging us and what he is saying is this, because God has mercifully spared us of the eternal death and punishment of our sin, that I urge and plead with you to live your new lives in this way. I always say at the conclusion of baptism, like with Jocelyn today, raised to walk in, in newness of life. There's a new life before you. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And we are to walk in the newness of that life. And so what is that way specifically? Isn't it fascinating that Paul begins with our bodies? He says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You mean being a disciple of Christ has implications for my body, this earthen vessel? Certainly this must have caught the church at Rome's attention, catches my attention, I think it catches our attention. Rome, after all, was the center of the world at that time. Bodily and sexual pleasures dominated the culture Instant gratification was held above any sense of bodily discipline or delay. They believed that we should indulge the flesh, that we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like American and Western culture. After all, the church in Rome was had members that were arguing, and you can read about this in Romans chapter 6. They were arguing that, you know, the more we sin with our bodies, the more mercy and grace that God would give us. So, let's enjoy. God's so good, He'll forgive us. And Paul declares, may it never be. <laughs> may it never be that we would allow our bodies to be consumed by the, the lusts and the appetites that we have rather God rather Paul tells us to present our bodies these physical bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice my body a sacrifice <laughs> why would God want my body I thought sacrifices were supposed to be from perfect bodies and there's nothing perfect about my body. First of all, we need to understand and step back and, and realize and understand that your body matters to God. Now certainly in the, in the grand eternal scope of things, you're only going to possess this body for, for a few years. 
But still, God has created us with this body. You are not just a mind and a soul and a heart. You are a complete and whole person of which your body is an integral part. Everything you do and experience is connected to your body. And God honors your body regardless of its imperfections. And check it out. God calls your body and my body into service, into ministry for Him. Now let's, let's remember that the Bible speaks certainly of at least two different types of sacrifices. First of all is the sacrifice for sin. It's the sacrifice that, that was used by unblemished or perfect bulls and lambs and pigeons in the, the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, what we discover is that their blood ultimately didn't bring about the salvation or freedom or forgiveness of our sins, but rather Jesus, who was the perfect Lamb of God. It was His sacrifice that took away our sin on the cross. It was that sacrifice that was offered one time, one time for all, there's nothing that can be added to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But there's a, another type of sacrifice that is spoken of in Scripture. The sacrifice of praise and of thanksgiving. This is the sacrifice that Paul is talking about. Because of the mercies of God, and because of His sacrifice on our behalf, we are to offer our bodies as a sacrifice of praise and of thanksgiving to God. First of all, our, our body is to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is a lasting and permanent sacrifice. It's not just a one-time sacrifice. Paul is calling us in such a way that we would live a continual, visible witness for Jesus. As I've already quoted, Luke 9.23 Take up your cross daily and follow after me. This is the hard work of discipleship. Deny yourself and come after me. Our bodily sacrifice is to be holy as well. The word holy means to be set apart for God. Our bodies are set apart for God as a temple of the Holy Spirit Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore, Paul says, we are to glorify God in our bodies. John Chrysostom, a 5th century early church father, pondered what does it mean to be a living and holy sacrifice, God? Help me to understand this. And this is what he wrote. And how is the body, it may be said, to become a sacrifice? And he answers the question with these three statements. Let the eye look at no evil thing, and it has become a sacrifice. Let the tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let thy hand do no lawless deed, and it has become a whole burnt offering. Certainly these are complex ideas that a great theologian and church father has offered for our meditation today, but let me assure you that this is also instruction for our children. Children, I'm so glad you're here today in worship. 
Did you all learn? I, I, I think I learned this song when I, was, when I was a child. Maybe some of you learned this song when you were a child. Oh, be careful. Little eyes. Oh, be careful, little hands. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. You see, these are basic concepts and principles. But parents and teenagers and college students, these are concepts that we don't leave behind in grade school. If I suspected if you, like me, if we would sing this song to ourselves, it would make a huge difference in our life today as an adult. Because what our body does is important. What our eyes see is important. What our ears hear is important. And I know as well as you do that I can't control all of that, but there are certainly some things I can control. And that I must be vigilant as a disciple of Christ to honor this body and to use this body in such a way that it honors God in what I say and what I hear and what I see and what these hands do and where these feet take me. Be careful, little hands, what you do. You see, your body is holy, not because of what it looks like. Let me, let me pause there. That's what our culture says. Our world says that your body is holy because of what it looks like. And, and this is that time of the year for resolutions, and there's lots of money being spent on what your body looks like. But your body will never be holy because of what it looks like. That's the lie. Your body is holy because it is a temple of the Holy Spirit and because it is called out by God in whatever condition it is, and certainly we have a responsibility of stewardship, but your body is called into the service of God to do love and to do ministry and to serve others. Paul tells us, do not let your witness be disqualified because of what you do. Do not let your body disqualify your testimony. Well, yeah, I hear what they say, but you should have seen him the other night. That wasn't a testimony for Christ. And we can be disqualified like that for our testimony and our witness because of what we allow this body to do. Romans 6.13, Paul says it this way a few chapters earlier. He says that we are not to use our body to continue to sin, but that the members of our body are to be instruments of righteousness for God. You see, it's with my hands that I can take you or someone who's thirsty a, a cup of cold water. It's with this mouth that I can speak words of love and encouragement, of instruction to you. It's with these lips that I can praise and thank God. It's with these feet that I can come and I can visit you when you are lonely. 
And when you just need the presence of someone to sit, and with these ears, I can listen to you. And I can hear you pour out your heart, and, and I can hear you as you talk through the issues of your life. And I can encourage you with Scripture and with prayer. Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16 says it like this. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And now he's going to define what that means. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. And, continuing with this same idea, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Finally, as we look at verse 1, when we present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, not only is it pleasing to God, but catch this, it is our spiritual service, our spiritual act of worship. You cannot worship the Lord spiritually without engaging Him physically. As a living sacrifice, our bodies display the mercies of God for all to see. Thus, real worship, true worship, is the offering of one's body and all that it does to God. It's the way we live our lives. It's the way we use these bodies. It's the way we use our minds in our heart. Those are the acts of worship that we must begin to embrace. We must not only say, I'm going to church to worship. Well, certainly, that's a part of our understanding. But we need to also be able to say, I am going to work to worship. I'm going to school to worship. I've got a, a project due tomorrow or a test tomorrow, and, and I'm going to study and prepare as an act of worship. To God. I'm going to play, to recreate as an act of worship. I'm going to stay home and keep my home as an act of worship. Open my home as an act of worship. Everything we do with our bodies must be considered an act of worship to God. And I love this about Paul. Paul is transparent in his life. And, and he's not just preaching this and then going on and doing his own thing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, listen to the words of Paul. He says this, Whether in life or in death, may Christ be exalted in my body. So when Paul says, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice, that's what Paul's doing. He's living that out. He's practicing that in all that he does. Maybe the first step for you is, is baptism. It's one of the things that Jocelyn did today, the symbol, the picture of that was saying, I, I give my whole life to God. I, I give my body to God. To be immersed in, in that tomb of water. Is, is, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Is a real sign. A symbol of identifying these physical bodies with the physical death of Christ on the cross. And so I'm offering up my body through this sign of baptism 
to represent and to show that I've died to myself. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul says, I've died to myself, but I live for Christ. I identify with Christ in His death, and now I'm raised to walk in a new life. A new life where my body and my heart and my mind and my soul are all given to the Lord, all given to God as an act of worship in all that I do. Maybe some of you are at that place in your own pilgrimage and walk with the Lord. Make disciples, baptizing them. Well, I'm a disciple of Christ. But I've, I've never been baptized. The Scripture's clear. Go and make disciples of Christ, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a picture, it's a witness of what God has done inside. But also, of the reality that, that this body has died to its old way. And now this body is raised to a new life that God has for us. So my question for each of us as we begin this series is, are you a living sacrifice? Are you a living sacrifice, a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? You see, our, our devotion is to be a witness through a body, through a physical body that unceasingly is offered to God as an act of worship. And after all, doesn't that make sense? Didn't... Uh, I referred early on that this idea of a spiritual service of worship, there's some logical aspect to that word and idea. It just makes sense that our bodies would be part of this. How foolish I would have been to stand at that marriage altar 31 years ago and said, Gay, you can have my mind and my heart, but you can't have my body. She wouldn't have showed up if that would have been the deal. And yet, how much more absurd to think that about the Lord. Lord, you can have my mind and my heart, and I'll show up on Sunday mornings and worship you every week, but you can't have my body. Because of the mercies of God, I urge you, I plead with you, to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice which is pleasing to God and is your spiritual service of worship. Let's pray. Father, we are completely and totally humbled by your mercies. We did not deserve Jesus bearing our sin on the cross. He took our payment. He took, he took our penalty and He bore that. And through His mercies, we have forgiveness. And then on top of that, You've graced us. You didn't just forgive us, but You have graced us with Your love and Your mercy, Your forgiveness, Your new life. And today, as we begin this season of walking as devoted disciples, I pray that we would understand that, that it begins 
today by offering our bodies, our lives back to you. It's a holy and living sacrifice. I'm not sure how God has been stirring in your heart this morning through the baptism, through the worship we've shared in music, through the preaching and God's Word, but I would invite you to be obedient to God's stirring. And as I've said, we're not, we're not coming to the altar during this time, but, but I will remain for just a few moments afterwards, and please reach out to our deacons, to our staff, to myself, and say, I'd like to visit some more about what we experienced and learned and shared today, what God is speaking in my heart so I can be faithful and obedient to Him. Come to that place of decision now as the Spirit of God speaks to you. And as he does so, let's stand and sing and be faithful to him.